This is Cinema Degeneration. folks well welcome to the second episode of sinfully short sundays a new show here on cinema degeneration i'm your host for the afternoon cameron scott and here on sinfully short sundays we will be taking short dives normally 15 minutes or less into a multitude of film genres including cult horror science fiction crime stories thrillers chillers comedies you name it nothing is really off limits uh, we'll be taking a, on a lesser-known film from our extensive watch lists and giving you our unique takes on these oddities. And so, without further ado, let's speak of the oddity of the day. I'm talking about Neon City from 1991, so it's a bit of a vintage. This uh, dystopian uh, post-apocalyptic thriller has been on my radar for literally decades and but it's you know it's always seemed to elude me until now i saw that it was streaming on tubi so i thought it was high time to peel off that band-aid finally and see what i've been missing all these years finding this on physical media though however is a bit sketchy at best you know random vhs pops up here and there on an amazon and they're quite expensive and there's only a few random import dvds that run really really pricey so i recommend tubi which is free obviously but this was the uh, second feature from actor-director Monty Markham, and he knows how to open a movie. With ominous score, chunky title cards that read North America Western Federation 2053 AD. And it's an obvious Road Warrior Mad Max clone from the get-go, but we know this from the trailer. We know this. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, Road Warrior-esque opening with dirt bikes racing through the desert, which is plagued with masked marauders. And we go right into a scene with Annie's Eats, a wasteland end-of-the-road diner serving up uh, dog meat burgers, complete with a curbside kennel. Yuck. Listen, folks, I do not abide by animal cruelty in life, nor do I abide by it in movies, so it was nice to see the proprietor of this uh, establishment get theirs. But it's 1991, so we get legendary actor and musician Vanity. Uh, she did such films as Action Jackson, Purple Rain, 52 Pickup, The Last Dragon. She plays Reno here, a uh, fugitive on the run from the murder of her foster parents. And then we get the equally legendary Michael Ironside. Now, he's been in everything and anything. As highlight reels is uh, Total Recall, Scanners, Prom Night 2, uh, The Machinist... Uh, most recently, Nobody. Uh, countless, countless others. He plays former Army Ranger Harry Stark, and he is the man chasing Reno down. Now, this is a rare turn for Ironside, as he essentially is in the Mad Max Rakotansky role instead of his usual villainous characters, and it's exciting to see him pull it off with ease. He really does it well. It's a shame he didn't get more of these roles. Now, Reno is what's known as, I'm using air quotes here that you can't see, a Red Star Fugitive which uh, we can only guess means bad, because they never really explain if there's other stars, but Red Star is supposed to be meaning the baddest of the bad. And Stark is trying to bring her in for murder that she uh, she has been on the run for for years. And we're now on to the town of Jericho, a.k.a. Pallet City, as I like to call it, because that's what it looks like. Pallet City caked under a layer of dust, caught in a web of farmer's market. Flea marketeers, snake oil salesmen, etc. Not surprising. I mean, after all, we are in the wasteland and everything is a little uh, mixed up. Now, this is where everything turns into an essentially sci-fi futuristic version of the Western Stagecoach. The similarities are really endless. We get a lot of information and exposition in a real short amount of time. Stark is not welcome in Jericho by the local law enforcement ever. And there's a backstory there of Stark's son, who was a mutant, and it's really a sore subject with him. And they're, they're assembling a transport slash stagecoach full of an array of really interesting characters, um, including uh, actor Richard Sanders of WKRP in Cincinnati fame. He plays Dickie Devine, who is a flamboyant actor and a snake oil salesman. We get the equally wonderful Juliet Landau from Ed Wood and the TV show uh, Bosch, Millennium, amongst others. She plays Twink, a overly entitled rich tycoon's daughter. And then there's one of the shine-out roles with Arsenio Sonny Trinidad, who plays Wing, a mysterious old man with a really, really dark secret that we'll get into later. Now, they are joined... This is really a highlight for me. They are joined by the one and the only legendary former pro football star and actor Lyle Alzado in his final film role as Bulk. He is the head of the transport. Now, Bulk also happens to have a history with Stark. I mean, obviously, from the get-go, and it's not a good one as Stark once arrested him, and now he's fresh and out of prison. So, you know, they they, they, they got a his history going on there. And, uh... Oh, did I forget to mention that Valerie Wildman, who plays uh, Sandy Randalls here, uh, she's also Stark's ex-wife. So everybody seems to know Stark, and everybody seems to hate him. Uh, so it's, it's not a good thing for our, our, our anti-hero of sorts. 
And Stark now has his hand forced into taking the transport in the first place and has seen the echoes of Snake Plissken. They pretty much ripped off a little escape from New York and escape from L.A. here, but, you know, that's okay. That's okay. And we're off. We're encountering all sorts of stuff and things here along the trip through the wasteland. It's riddled with mutants, natural disasters around every corner. There's something called Xander clouds, which are toxic clouds that were created as a byproduct of, from the Xander Corporation that depleted the ozone layer with secret laser experiments, thus causing the apocalypse, which we all find out in the beginning in the opening crawl. There's mutants, there's families dying of radiation, poisoning, decimated outposts, more mutants, more diners with questionable food, and many more mutants. Oh, did I forget to mention there's a drug-addicted serial killer played by Nick Clark that's on board the transport, disguised as a doctor, and he's creeping, uh, peeping Tom to boot, so you gotta watch out for him. And we're on to more mutant attacks. Uh, mutant attacks seem to hit, like, every other beat. And don't you just love how they all seem to have dirt bikes, all these mutants? They know they're coming because they all got dirt bikes. There's a couple more natural disaster scenes, including what's called a bright that is like a solar flare that almost kills everyone that raises the temperatures up. And, and if you look into it, it'll blind you. I mean, it's just, it's really, really uh, neat uh, sequences. And there's uh, an El Camino's leftover from Thunderdome, it looks like. Uh, there's Stark's sad story about his mutant-born son. Reno's even more sad story about why she had to kill her parents. And in the end, I mean, when you find out who could really blame her. And between the constant mutant attacks, endless natural disasters at every turn, and the sly doctor murdering, you know, uh, people along the way, they lose a few members of the transport. You know, when they get wounded, they get into the doctor's care. And it just seems to me that it's always convenient that as soon as the doctor, you know, slash serial killer is left alone with the wounded, they instantly die. Within seconds, they're just like, yeah, nothing I could do. But it was just a flesh wound. You know, things happen. You would figure someone would pick up on that, but no. I mean, they do eventually, but it's a wee bit too late for the friends he's killed along the way. I mean, just saying. Now, the real standout characters here are Juliet Landau as Twink, who's a real piece of work and looks down on everything and everyone, but somehow still manages to be uh, endearing at the same time. And I may be a little biased here, but Lyle Alzado as Bulk is also amazingly intense and charismatic at the same time. And he's sans beard, you know, for the, the first time on film, at least that I've seen him in. So it's a unique look for him. And uh, observation here, 1991, a.k.a. the future, so many mullets. Just so many mullets. Mullets everywhere. Now, the one thing that doesn't really, you know, uh, work here is the, the really forced budding romance storyline between Stark and Reno. Uh, again, it just seems really forced and a little bit unnecessary. I mean... Ironside and and uh, Vanity really have no chemistry here together. Now, like, not saying anything bad about Ironside's performance, it just doesn't seem to work because Ironside comes across writing that fine line of uh, somewhat charming and somewhat sleazy here as Stark, but it works for him. You know, as the story goes, we're writing things out with our group along the way to Neon City. We've now lost Divine to the dock at this point, and it's a real shame. He's gone too soon because I love the character. The Doctor is kind of creeping on Reno at one point where they're at an outpost, and she totally whoops his ass. Good. 
there's the wonderful one-liner that I love in here where the killer says, what does a guy say when he's about to be murdered? It's, I can't do it justice, but it's a great line. And when is someone going to put two and two together and, that the doctor is just totally bad news? It, it just seems like they, they should be on to this. Maybe we're on to it as the audience, but our, our people in the cast are not. There is a touching scene where Reno reveals her past to Stark after uh, the, the doctor attacks her. Uh, she had murdered her foster parents for putting them through a child prostitution ring with the rest of her siblings. So she, she killed them, took all the blame, and thus earning her the illustrious Red Star. And more secrets come out during the final mutant attack that the Wing, the old man, has secretly been old man Xander all along, the head of the Xander Corporation. Uh, he's there on a secret mission to repair the damage he's done to the ozone layer in a sort of last-ditch uh, effort to, to save the world that is slowly dying. In one moment, he actually creates a laser to fight off the horde of mutants just as everybody else runs out of ammo. So good timing on that one, Wing. There's also a touching moment. I, I, I This is probably my favorite scene of the movie when Bulk reveals to Wing that he's known he was Xander all along, but he's going to keep it a secret from everybody else as he believes it, everybody deserves a second chance. And I think that's a lot of what this movie is about, is that nobody is who they seem, and maybe, not everybody, but maybe just about everybody deserves a second chance. The transport itself is now just a dead hunk of smoking and crumbled steel, so our remaining group walks their way to Neon City. Uh, Sandy is uh, wounded, but the doc is taking care of her, wink, wink, and she'll be dead in about two fucking minutes. Everything seems really happy for a brief, brief moment when they get to Neon City, and Neon City is just that. Lots and lots of pretty neon and polished steel and chrome. It looks a lot better than Jericho, a.k.a. Pallet City. And there's a brief fight slash kerfuffle in which the doc is revealed as uh, the killer that he is. He takes Reno hostage and Stark kills him with a single shot that's just sort of uh, uneventful. Therein lies the one real problem with this movie is that the ending is sort of sloppy and all sorts of anticlimactic. But I, I can forgive it for that. I can forgive it of that. Now, highlight real time. It's got to be the supporting cast. It's Lyle Alzado, Juliet Landau, and Richard Sanders. Kill it. Michael Ironside and Vanity. Absolutely kill it. The transport itself as a highlight prop is in that it's really an extreme piece of machinery that even George Miller himself would be proud of. And we end up spending so much time there that it really pays off in the end. It's a great prop. I also love some of the smaller touches in the exchanges where they really allow things to, to slow down just for a tick. And uh, we get to know details about each of these characters that you wouldn't normally get. It's a nice addition, not usually afforded to movies of this ilk. They usually move around at such a breakneck pace that they don't you know, give you that luxury of slowing down for a moment, but this movie does. Now, on to some what-the-fuck moments. Uh, first and foremost, uh, dog meat burgers. But at least our remaining pooches uh, can get uh, set free by Stark, so there's that, and there's no on-screen deaths of dogs, which I can, can appreciate, so they handle that. Also, the Xander clouds and the bright sequences really stand out as some really pretty great, underutilized for the most part, but uh, pretty great effects work. 
Now, in the end, anyone who knows me knows of my affinity for post-apocalyptic movies and dystopian-style cinema, media, books, you name it. In all shapes and sizes, I love the genres. So I'm sorry and a little bit embarrassed to admit that I am so late to the game on this one. It's a 90s classic. I mean, I knew of its existence for years, but just never got around to, to seeing it as sometimes life just, you know, happens. But overall, I found the movie gritty, really dark with a nice little dollop of uh, dark humor. And it's filled with interesting characters and a fine, fine, fine addition to my dystopian roster of films from here on out. I will keep this in heavy rotation. Now, it teeters on the edge of greatness teeters on it, but it never seems to go quite all the way. On a 1 to 10 scale, I would give this a solid 7. Now, I want to give it a rewatch, as I believe in giving everything a secondary watch. And if I may end up amending my rating uh, a point or two in either direction later on, but right now, 7 out of 10. It's a, uh, using air quotes again here, sort of great movie that's just marred by a really uh, messy and sloppy over-before-you-know-it finale. That's the, really the one thing. I probably would give it a nine if the uh, ending just wasn't so bleh. But, you know, it's not to say that it's not a good movie. It's a good movie, a really good movie, just a smidge shy of being great. And that's about all I got for Neon City. So uh, anyway, folks, that about sums up things for the afternoon. I want to thank you all again for tuning in to the newest episode of Sinfully Short Sundays. This is still sort of a new adventure, but I look forward to bringing you more and more of these quickie reviews. Uh, may maybe even some possible uh, guest reviewers in the near future. But keep listening. Keep tuning in, keep liking, click subscribe on our Podbean account, and please drop a comment to us and let us know maybe what you'd like to hear our take on next. So, thank you once again, folks, but we'll be signing off for Cinema Degenerations, Sinfully Short Sundays. I have been your host, Cameron Scott, and I have been gleefully reviewing and dissecting Neon City from 1991.